Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Welcome. My turn to welcome you. If you are a guest of ours, you are our honored guest. We're especially glad that you're here this morning with us. We have been in a sermon series talking about Jesus. We keep coming back to Philippians where Paul says, I want to know Christ. And we want to know Christ. We want to know him better. We're trying to understand him a little more clearly. And as you see on the screen, uh, today's lesson is Jesus is Compassion. And the title of today's lesson is not Jesus is Compassionate. And the title is not Jesus is Full of Compassion. The title is Jesus is Compassion. Um, talking about Jesus. This is actually the last sermon in this particular series. And I saved this one for last for a reason. Now we're going to keep talking about Jesus as the year goes on, but uh, we're going to go a couple different directions here in the next couple weeks and months. But I want to finish up with talking about Jesus being compassion as we try to get to know Jesus better. Because I mentioned when I started this series that most people will say, yes, I know Jesus. But their perception of Jesus is not based on Scripture. It's based on something else. It might be traditions or a song or movies or some, some stories that have sort of been cobbled together. Most people's perception of Jesus isn't based on Scripture. So, so we're trying to change that as we've talked about Jesus. And I want to jump right into our text this morning. Most of you have probably guessed it. It's John chapter 8, the first part of John chapter 8. This isn't the first time I've preached on this section of Scripture. I promise you it won't be the last time I preach on this section because this section of Scripture is overflowing with teaching on sin and pride and shame and hard-heartedness and love and forgiveness and compassion. This section of Scripture does such a beautiful job of, of showing us what's ugly about us and what's beautiful about Jesus. So, for the most part, we're going to stay right here in John chapter 8 this morning as we look at one of the greatest examples anywhere in Scripture of compassion. And we're going to talk about compassion this morning. And we're going to talk about sin this morning. We're going to do it through the context of how Jesus deals with those issues, the life of Jesus. So John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. By the way, it's the only time in the book of John that, that the Mount of Olives is mentioned. Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now be sure you understand the context of what's going on. Jesus is at the temple, it's early in the morning. He sits down to teach, which would have been the common posture for a teacher then. So Jesus sits down in the temple courts, begins to teach, and he draws a crowd. We talked about Jesus as the teacher. Good teachers draw crowds. Jesus draws a crowd because everyone wants to hear what Jesus has to say. Almost everyone. As we've seen before and we see here in John chapter 8, there are some people that don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. There are Pharisees, there are teachers of the law, there are kind of the religious elite, really, that are offended by what Jesus has to say. 
And Jesus' teaching bothers them. In fact, it bothers them a lot. And as we've seen before and we see again here, these people are trying to trick Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. If we can get him to say something, if we can get him to do something that we can use against him, then we'll be able to shut him up once and for all. Now, Jesus would not have been the only rabbi teaching in the temple that day. There would have been a lot of other rabbis doing the same thing. There would have been a lot of spiritual people there. It was a serious place. It was the temple. They were serious people. People in the temple were there to worship and honor God. This would have been the best and the brightest of the Jewish community. This would have been where the Sanhedrin would have been, that kind of ruling community for the Jews. These were serious people in a serious place. And they're talking about serious things. They're talking about spiritual things. This is the, the temple in Jerusalem, kind of the epicenter of holiness in the first century. Now, we've talked before about the fact that, that the, the Jews believed that the closer you were to Jerusalem, the closer you were to the temple, the closer you were to the Holy of Holies, that inner room within the temple, the closer you were to the presence of God. And there was a reason why they believed that. So Jesus is teaching. He's not on a hillside somewhere. He's not in some remote village. He's not in a house. He's not on a boat. He is in the temple. He is in a serious place. He is talking to serious people about very, very serious things. Verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman they'd caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, I want you to use your imagination for me a little bit this morning. Because we are in a serious place. And we are serious people, right? And we're talking about serious things. We're talking about spiritual things. I want you to imagine if right now these back doors burst open and through these doors came some of the most religious people you knew and they have a woman with them who doesn't want to be here, obviously. And they bring the woman down in front of the crowd and they turn around and say, we have caught this woman in the act of adultery. Do you think that would get your attention this morning? That would get my attention. I've seen a lot of things happen in church. Some funny, some tragic, some sad. I have never seen that happen. And I think I would remember that. I've had people tell me before that kind of thing probably happened all the time in the first century. I don't think that kind of thing happened all the time in the first century. I think this is unique. I think people would be talking about this woman being dragged before this rabbi for a long time. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it, right? Interesting story for a lot of reasons. But I'm going to tell you this. For the Pharisees, this had nothing to do with this woman. This had absolutely nothing to do with the woman. It wasn't about the woman. This was all about trapping Jesus. This was all about getting Jesus to do or say something that they could use against him. How do I know that? I know that because I know Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. And you know what? So did Jesus. And so did those Pharisees. 
And I suspect that even the woman knew Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, which says this, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both the man and the woman must be put to death. Where's the guilty man? This woman was just brought from an adulterous situation. Where's the guilty man? The Jews have already broken their own law by not having the man there as well. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows, for these guys, it's not about this woman. It's about trapping him. Because if Jesus says, stoner, he's going to get in trouble with the Romans. And if Jesus says, let her go, he's going to get in trouble with the Jews. This is all about trapping Jesus. For the Pharisees, for the teachers of the law, this has absolutely nothing to do with the woman. It's not about the woman. For Jesus, it has everything to do with the woman. For Jesus, this is all about the woman who is brought before him here. It, it, it has everything to do with this woman. He's not thinking of the politics of the situation. He's thinking about this woman. This woman who is guilty of adultery, and she is guilty, by the way. Her guilt is never brought into question. She's guilty. She knows it. Everybody knows it. And she stands before this crowd completely ashamed. The sin always leads to shame. And here's this woman completely ashamed. She knows the law. She knows what she now deserves. And she's got to be thinking, this is going to be my last moment on earth. And my last moment on earth is going to be spent in shame. I am going to die ashamed. Not only that, but she's standing in the temple. She's standing in the temple in front of a rabbi. She knows that she is no doubt about to receive what the law says she deserves. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says the stoner. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. When you walked in the building this morning, I hope that you picked up a stone. Everybody got your stone? Hold up your stone. I got my stone here. Hold up your stone. Everybody got a stone. Very good. Teacher, they said. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Just hold on to that stone for just a minute. Just hold it in your hand. Now, these Pharisees in John chapter 8, they're trying to trap Jesus. But the question's really pretty straightforward. The law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Yes or no? It's really a pretty straightforward question. Do we, do we let these rocks fly? Do we throw them? It's my experience that people are usually pretty quick to throw stones. And sometimes we feel very justified in throwing stones. Sometimes throwing stones is a very easy thing to rationalize. In fact, we kind of feel like we sort of have to throw stones because we're right and they're wrong. And there's lessons that need to be taught. There's consequences that need to be faced. Sometimes we feel like we have to throw stones. But here's the thing I've learned about throwing stones. 
When you throw stones, they don't hit sin. They always hit people. And I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. When you throw stones, it doesn't hit sin. Those stones hit people. No matter how hard you throw them, no matter how many stones you throw, they don't hit sin. They hit people. And they hurt. Some of you have walked in here today wounded because you've been hit by stones. You have been to places, maybe even here, where you expected kindness and patience and forgiveness and grace and love and hope and peace and compassion. And instead, you were pelted with stones. And you know how badly that hurts. Yeah, but they were guilty. Yeah, but they deserved it. Okay. Let's talk about how Jesus deals with this. You know, several years ago, the WWJD was a big thing. Everybody was wearing the bracelets. Everybody had the bumper sticker. WWJD. What would Jesus do? It's a great question, actually. Before you act, ask the question, what would Jesus do? This is not a WWJD moment. We don't have to wonder, hmm, I wonder what Jesus would have done in this situation. How would he react? How would he respond? This is not a WWJD moment. This is a WJD moment. This isn't what would Jesus do. This is what Jesus did. So if you've got a problem with it, I'm telling you right now, if you want to argue, argue with him. Not me. Because I'm just telling you what Jesus did. Verse 6. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus knew what was going on. He's asked a very direct question. Do we stone her? So rather than respond, he bends down and, and starts writing something in the dirt. By the way, only time in Scripture we read about Jesus writing anything. And theologians have kind of argued, what was Jesus writing? Now some have said, well, maybe he started to write the Ten Commandments, which the hand of God did write at one time. Some say, well, maybe he wrote Nini Nini Tekelepshren, which means you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting, which the hand of God did write at one time. Some say, well, I think it was just doodling. I don't know. The, the scripture does say he wrote something. I don't have any idea what he wrote, but I do know this. It bothered the Pharisees. The fact that he wasn't responding bugged them. Because they start demanding an answer. They demand a response. Verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. Hey, give us an answer. Do we stone her or not? So Jesus stood up and said, All right, stone her. Hey, what do we do? Are we demanding an answer? Do we stone her or not? Okay, stone her. And then he adds one little word. It always messes us up. But. You can go ahead and stone her. But. Let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. Then he stooped down and again wrote in the dust. Yeah, go ahead and stone her. The person to throw the first stone has got to be the person who hasn't sinned. Now, who's qualified in that crowd to throw the first stone? Only one person. There's only one person qualified now to throw a stone. It's Jesus. And he's not throwing a stone. In fact, you might not know this. Jesus is actually referring to more scripture here. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 16 through 19, we read that if you bring a charge against someone that would result in capital punishment, in other words, it would result in death, if you bring that charge through maliciousness or deceit, then you're guilty of the same offense. That you should receive the same punishment. Now, was this charge against this woman brought in maliciousness and deceit? Absolutely it was. So what Jesus is saying is, I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. And I know the law. And actually, these rocks that are in your hand, they need to be turned on yourselves. You're guilty of what the same punishment that you're demanding from this woman. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Some translations say they dropped their stones. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to drop some stones this morning. And I got DeWitt to recruit a couple of people to help me back here with, I got some, some metal cans placed in a couple of different spots. If you guys could grab those... If you're sitting on the middle row, we're going to put you to work a little bit on the ends. I want everybody to pass your stones to, the, to these one, two, three middle aisles. And these ushers are going to come down with these cans and you're going to drop those stones in the cans. So I want everybody, everybody to drop their stone in the can. Just pass them in, pass them to the middle. And I'm going to tell you, I got metal cans for a reason. There's a reason why the cans are metal. Because you're going to hear a whole lot of stones falling in metal cans. And I want you to hear that noise. I want you to be able to hear what it sounds like when people drop their stones. You know what that sound is? As you hear people dropping stones? That's the sound of compassion of Jesus. That's the sound of Jesus saying, wait a minute. Before you act, before you respond, before you do what you think you need to do, why don't you stop? Why don't you drop those stones? Or maybe you've been on the other side of the whole equation and you've had people throw stones at you. That's the sound of stones being dropped. Guys, when you fill those up, bring them down here and dump them in this one. Just dump them in there. Thanks, fellas. Almost forgot to drop my stone. No one here is holding a stone now. Or at least shouldn't be. If you've been hit by stones from a brother, from a sister, I want you to know nobody's got a stone in here today. Not here. Not today. You remember that I asked you to imagine that woman being brought in and standing here in front of our crowd? And I mentioned that for the Pharisees, it had nothing to do with the woman. And I mentioned that for Jesus, it had everything to do with the woman. Verse 10. 
Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The accusers leave. And it's just Jesus and this woman. Now the crowd is still here. Now the crowd's still there. They haven't gone anywhere. But the accusers are gone. So now it's just Jesus and the woman. If you were in that crowd, wouldn't you be kind of interested to see how this whole thing is going to play out? Okay, they've dropped stones. They've walked away. If I was in the crowd, I'd stay in the crowd. Because I want to see how Jesus is going to handle this. What's going to happen next? Interestingly enough, the woman stays there with Jesus. Really, when I think about that, I find that pretty fascinating. Because Jesus has sort of distracted himself. He's over here, bent down, and he appears to be paying attention to what he's writing and not paying so much attention to what's going on up here. And he kind of puts this thing on these people, these accusers, and they realize the folly of what they're trying to accomplish, and they, they slip away. They drop their stones and slip away. But when Jesus stands up, the woman's still there. Had I been that woman, I'd have been looking for a place to slip away to. I would have tried to back away. I would have tried to turn, run, get away, whatever it took, but she doesn't. She stays there with Jesus. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but if I had to guess, my guess would be she wants to see how this thing's going to play out. Because there was something about Jesus, there was something about this rabbi that was holding her in place. Something different about Jesus. And I think it was the grace that he was offering. And I think it was the compassion. I think it was this rabbi, Jesus. And for the first time, Jesus speaks directly to the woman. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And maybe this woman looks around at the, the stones that are littered all over the ground, knowing that just a few minutes ago, people were holding those stones, and they were meant for me. And then she finally speaks. And she only says two words. And one of those words is Lord. No, Lord. And then Jesus says this, Neither do I. Is, is no one here to condemn you? No, Lord. Neither do I. Do you think in your wildest dreams that this woman in her wildest dreams expected the rabbi to say that? Could she have imagined this thing to play out the way it is playing out? No one is accusing me. Doesn't look like it. And the rabbi stands up and said, neither do I. But then he says, go and sin no more. He doesn't just say go. He says, go and sin no more. Because with grace comes the expectation of godliness. And you can't miss that. We can't miss the fact that with grace comes the expectation of godliness. I think sometimes we get to be like those Christians in Romans chapter 6 where Paul's talking about, they say, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? You know, we might as well keep sinning and keep getting grace. And Paul says, may it never be. Absolutely not. You're missing the whole idea. You're missing the beauty of grace. 
With grace comes an expectation of godliness. When we have been extended the grace of God, we are called to live godly lives. And we should have a much deeper, truer, better realization of why we want to live godly lives. We don't know anything else about this woman in John chapter 8. She's never mentioned again in Scripture. John doesn't write five chapters later, you know that woman who was committing adultery? Now she's not committing adultery anymore. He doesn't say that. We don't know what happens to this woman. But I've got to believe that her life was different after her Jesus encounter. I've got to believe that she lived a different life after she experienced the grace and the compassion of Jesus. I've got to believe her life is different. Because when your life has been saved by the grace and the compassion of Jesus, my guess is she probably lived differently. That's my guess. My guess is she lived differently. Here's my question. Why don't we? Why don't we live differently? Because I think most of us in this room have been extended the same grace. And I know that all of us in this room have stood before the Lord just as guilty, just as ashamed, just as convicted and condemned as that woman had. Why aren't we living our lives like someone who loved us so much rescued us from certain death? Go and sin no more. You know, maybe this morning you're a little bit like that unnamed woman that we're talking about. Maybe you walked in this morning with a whole lot of shame. Maybe you don't even want to be here this morning. Somebody else dragged you here. I don't know. But maybe you're thinking, if you knew, if you only knew what I've done, if you only know what I've been, where I've gone, it's not good. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. But I know, I know that the grace and the compassion of Jesus is bigger than that. Some of you today are wounded. Some of you have been hurt by stones that have been thrown. You got the cuts, and you got the bruises to prove it, and you're kind of wondering how much longer you can hold on. I want to remind you the stones are in the bucket this morning. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're brothers and we're sisters. We dropped our stones. The only thing, though, that will make that possible is Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that makes all that possible and realistic. You need to hear Jesus say, I don't condemn you. Neither do I. I don't condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Now, these buckets down here are full of stones. I hope they remind us. The fact that you, you had your stone and dropped it into a bucket, I hope that reminds, reminds all of us that the compassion of Jesus is so much greater I want to treat people with that same kind of compassion. This morning, maybe you're here and you just really need healing. 
Maybe you're here and you need to be reminded the stones are in the bucket and you're praying that that's where they stay. Maybe this morning you've thrown a few stones with the best of intentions and with, with the noblest of reasons. You, you are guilty of throwing stones. But you know deep down in your heart that it hurt people. The people were hurt when those stones were thrown. This has got to be a healing place. I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this family. This has got to be a healing place. But sometimes our pride gets in the way. This has got to be a healing place. But sometimes we get a little sideways on how to treat each other. This has got to be a healing place. But sometimes it seems like we shoot our wounded instead of minister to them. Sometimes we, we throw stones. We throw stones and people get hurt. My prayer this morning is that your stone stays in the bucket. My prayer is that we treat people with the same kind of compassion that Jesus treated people. That we are transformed by His actions. That before we act, we stop. And we think of Jesus. And maybe we drop a stone. Maybe we have that same kind of forgiving, loving spirit. Not, not to, to, to marginalize sin, but to be reminded the price that Jesus paid because of our sin. And the grace that's been given to us to not be condemned, but to go and sin no more. The stones this morning are in the bucket. I pray that's where they stay. We've got a song that we're going to use, a song of encouragement. If we can minister to you in any way, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium here to meet with you, and we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing.